0: Hello and welcome to the Food Connections podcast, the podcast that connects you with the food you eat. I'm Dr Laura Wyness, a registered nutritionist and one of Scotland's regional food tourism ambassadors. I'm interested in all things related to food and nutrition and I love learning more about the food we eat, how it's made and getting to know the people involved in making our food. In this episode I'm joined by Anna Canning, medical herbalist, forager and community education worker. Anna has worked for many years as a translator and researcher, living in several European countries, and this sparked her interest in ethnobotany and medicinal plants and led to her doing a degree in herbal medicine. Since then, her work has focused on community education. Alongside teaching on the herbology courses at the Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh, Anna works mainly with disadvantaged groups in community contexts. Foraging, remedy-making, eco-crafts, Practical and reflective outdoor activities are all tools that Anna uses to engage people in the use of plants and green spaces to foster life skills, physical and mental well-being, sustainable living and a meaningful connection with the natural world. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Anna, welcome to Food Connections. It's great to have you on as a guest today on the show. How are you? Very well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling the cold, but it's all right. It's it's (laughs) definitely turned winter now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely.
1: But all good. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: That's absolutely fine. In your introduction, I I introduced you saying that you have an interest in ethnobotany. So a quick question just at the start. What is ethnobotany? (laughs) Well, ethno just
1: means people and botany is the science
0: of plants.
1: Basically, ethnobotany is about how people all around the world use plants for all sorts of different things.
0: Brilliant. Sounds interesting. So let's, I suppose, get started with your background. What actually first got you interested in studying ethnobotany and interested in plants and foraging?
1: I guess it all started out when I was living abroad, mainly in different countries in Europe. I lived for about four and a half years in Hungary, for example. I lived in several different countries and realising that just wherever I was living or working, people really knew their plants and they knew which time of year to go out and harvest what, you know, which parts of plants or fungi would be useful and not just for food, but also for medicinal uses or for crafts as well. So harvesting willow, harvesting particular, you know, sort of fallen branches of say ash, for example, or maple, for woodworking so carving making little toys for their kids so really interesting just insight into how people connect with their own natural environment and the plants around them and so when i came back to britain i was working as a translator i had two young kids and then decided to follow this up with an interest in the medicinal aspects of plants so i did a degree in herbal medicine But I found that although I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it, it was an absolute revelation from start to finish. It didn't actually teach us very much about our native plants and about how to identify them and how to harvest them, what time of year to harvest them and what parts to use for each medicinal purpose. So that became my abiding interest, if you like, and it's continued delving deeper and deeper, if you like, into that, the uses of plants around us. Very Mm -hmm. often, I mean, I think in herbal medicine, we're very much, I would say we're suckers for the exotic. (laughs) (laughs) I think we always have been. If you look at the old herbals and apothecaries, notebooks, we've always done that. But it means to some extent neglecting the resources that are all around us. So that led me very much into foraging to explore that in more depth and in encompassing the full sort of gamut of, of the uses of plants. So for food, for medicine, their connection with wildlife. So an ecological approach, so how a plant sits in its environment, how it interrelates with other species, you know, from microbes and insects, pollinators and mammals and ourselves as part of an ecosystem as well. So yeah, it's been a journey. And you yeah.
0: now have a, a variety of roles in that kind of sphere. You work at the Botanic Gardens and have various roles. Do you want to explain all the different things that you do these days? Oh gosh,
1: all of it. Where start? <laughs> <laughs> okay, We'll start with the RBGE, the Royal Botanic Gardens Edinburgh. Since June last year, I've been working, teaching on the herbology, programs. So the Botanics runs Diploma in Herbology and a certificate program and various short courses as well relating to the medicinal uses of plants. And they're very well attended and it's been going for about 17 or 18 years now, the Herbology program. And it sits very well within the sort of history and the ethos of the Botanic Gardens, which originated as a physic garden. So, you know, using plants for medicinal purposes. That's a long history, I won't go into it in this manner, <laughs> but the students learn a bit about medicinal plant horticulture and how to harvest the plants and process them in very traditional ways, a whole range of ways into useful medicines
0: and remedies. Sounds and absolutely fascinating work. course to do. And you work with community groups as well, is that right?
1: That's right, yes. Yeah. So most of the work that I've been doing since I graduated from herbal medicine in 2007 has actually been community work. So starting in adult education, I've been delivering some courses in the adult education programme since 2009, I think. Even before that, I started with my own kids in their primary school classes as guinea pigs, exploring different ways to to use or apply the herbal medicine knowledge. So working with the classes on woodland walks, looking at the trees and woodland plants and, for example, looking at food and medicine in ancient Rome and ancient Egypt, you know, just in line with whatever the class was covering in their curriculum. And so gradually I expanded. I did some forest school training and quite a lot of mental health training. Mm -hmm. And although I've worked with children quite a lot too, I've gravitated more and more towards working with adults with mental health problems and chronic health conditions of other sorts as well. So and foraging is actually a great tool in that kit to work with people facing all sorts of health inequalities and sort of mental and physical health problems.
0: Yeah, it sounds like re-foraging has a wide range of benefits, as you say, to oh, our health in general. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: It's just incredible. I mean, for one thing, for people on low incomes, for example, I mean, foraging is food for free. I mean, that's an old mm-hmm. cliche, but it is, and it's something that humans and animals have always done in every culture around the world, and so it's not difficult to learn to do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not rocket science, as long as you abide by. Certain safety principles and sustainability principles as well. It's really important to protect the wildlife, and there are places where it's not really legal to forage. But we'll come back to that maybe a bit later. But as long as you abide by that, and start with what you know, I think everybody knows a dandelion or a daisy or a or a nettle. Mm-hmm. You know, surely we can all identify nettles even in the dark. you know, So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, start with what you know and build up. And it's a great way to give people confidence to go out to get active. So walking with purpose, if you like, great way to get to know your local area. And it's also quite a mindful activity because you're mm-hmm. focusing your attention on the plants to be able to identify them safely, to look at where they're growing. Is it safe to pick from there? All of these things that make it a really, really useful health giving activity. Not to mention the fact that the actual plants growing in the wild, the
0: forageable edibles, are nutritionally, you know,
1: they're just a powerhouse.
0: I was definitely going to ask you about the nutrition, being a nutritionist myself, is there any nutritional powerhouses of plants that are available for us to forage? What would you recommend?
1: Absolutely. Every wild edible in Scotland, in Britain, in Europe, is packed with vitamins and minerals. You know, they are just off the scale. There's some really interesting research It was done by the German government in the late 80s, early 90s. And although it doesn't specify where the plants were harvested from it, there's lists of tables comparing wild harvested plants with some of the cultivated plants that we know are really good for us. Things like broccoli Mm -hmm. and kale and Brussels sprouts and Mm -hmm. press and all these. And the wild plants are off the scale. So it starts going through for example, protein content, vitamin C content, and mineral content, for example, of some of these cultivated greens, and it goes through them in sequence. And then it moves on (laughs) to the the wild plants. And for example, say vitamin C, nettles have three times the amount of vitamin C than kale. I mean, really incredible. And that's just one parameter. So minerals as well the real powerhouses. What's
0: the that. reason for that? Does it the environment they grow or
1: there are very good reasons for that? If you consider conventional agriculture that uses a limited range of nutrients to feed the crops, and they're also using a lot of herbicides and pesticides, they're growing in soil that's not terribly rich in a whole range of minerals and micronutrients. Okay. And also any farmer wants to get her yield in quickly because farming is very expensive in terms of inputs costs Mm -hmm. and so very often the plants will be you know treated with things that will promote their growth so the harvest can be brought in quicker in contrast I mean even organic farming you're still using a range of permitted pesticides and herbicides and again there's the yield it's very important but in the wild in contrast to that the plants Have the time to grow at their own pace in tandem with the environmental conditions around them. So they grow with plenty of time to take up nutrients from the soil, which makes them much more nutrient dense, particularly minerals, for example. Plants like nettles are extremely good at taking up nutrients from the soil, dandelion too. Nettles, in fact, you have to be a little bit careful where you harvest them for that reason, because if you're harvesting from a brownfield site that may be contaminated with heavy metals, you'll find those are in the plant tissues as well. So that's worth bearing in mind. But they're incredible. (laughs) So they're very good for bioremediation, so helping improve soil and get rid of contaminants, but it means that they could actually be toxic for human consumption. So it's just worth bearing in mind. I don't want to scare anybody off because generally it's very safe. But they are absolutely incredible. And it's partly because they have the time to take up the nutrients. And the other reason why they're such powerhouses nutritionally is that they have to defend themselves. Whereas plants in cultivation, be it conventional or organic, are assisted with that. So they don't produce the range of what we call secondary metabolites. Primary metabolites are the compounds that plant produces for its growth and reproduction. Secondary metabolites are the plant's defence compounds, but they're also compounds to attract pollinators, so the the lovely colours and scents that we get from flowers, for example, or from berries. These are really important nutritionally and also medicinally. So those are the compounds that humans and animals, to some extent, have been harnessing for probably millennia for their nutritional and medicinal benefits it's Mm -hmm. really important so that's why these are so rich a little goes a long way you don't need to take your asda trolley out and harvest lots of forageables and a little does go a long way. They're so nutritionally dense.
0: And we've mentioned nettles quite a bit, but what would you use nettles for? So if you did find a nice patch of nettles in a, a lovely forest or something, if you pick a, a few nettles, what would you use it for? First of all,
1: nettles don't tend to like deep shade. So you'll find them oh, right. on the edges, not in the, in the deep woodland. So nettles, we would harvest them usually in the spring or In the autumn, second flush you get. Several plants do this. When the summer vegetation has died back or been cut back, you'll get a second regrowth. So you harvest nettles before they flower. Every plant's chemistry changes as it goes through its life cycle. And in the case of nettles, when it goes into its reproductive phase, its flowering phase, it develops compounds in the leaves that are irritant to the kidneys and urinary system. So that's to be avoided. So to go back to your question, what do we use them for? Well, medicinally, nettles, well, medicinally, stroke nutritionally, because the boundary between food and medicine is very blurred. And I love playing with that. I think it's a really useful thing. You know, So food as medicine, I think there's a lot of consensus now that the evidence is very strong for food as medicine, but nettles have been used as anti-diabetic. So they measurably lower your blood glucose levels. And they also have another mechanism of action, which is anti-hyperglycemic. So it enables the body to be less insulin resistant. So very useful. It's also anti-arthritic. So it's a fantastic circulatory stimulant. So it can really help with general metabolism, particularly useful, for example, as nettle tea or as food in older people who are maybe less mobile to help get the circulation going. Very rich in minerals like iron and calcium, incredibly useful from that point of view. So it's often been regarded as a blood builder, and blood nutrient, and it's because of this they're nutritionally so rich. They're also anti-allergenic. So they're very, very useful for helping people who suffer from allergies, particularly dermatitis type allergies, hives, but also things like hay fever, and sort of inhaled sensitivity to inhaled allergens so really useful to incorporate nettle tea or nettles as food into your diet if you do suffer from allergies or using nettle tea as a compress for example for a yeah. or a skin gosh know.
0: so many things um, from uh, just one plant and there are so many different plants as well yeah. that if someone is kind of new to foraging what would you recommend if we're going out for a walk in the new year say what should we be looking out for and i know you've got fantastic woodlands for all book as well which i think i've been looking through it and it's a great kind of starting point i would say for just helping people recognize what is on our doorstep but what would you say we should be looking out for this time of year this
1: time of year my goodness in winter it's a lot less obvious because we don't have many plants in flower at this time of year So it's maybe not the best time of year to get started with foraging. You can actually find some new nettle growth. Mm -hmm. You can still find dandelion leaves. Daisy leaves are also quite nutritious. Things that I've seen a lot of sticky willy or cleavers, goose grass, as some people call it. And that's very nutritious too. It's a gentle diuretic and laxative, but also just a lovely, lovely tea to make. You can make a cold infusion with that or a hot infusion.
0: I normally kind of throw sticky bellies at people. that's the only yes, use that I thought boys. they had. But yeah, <laughs> so apparently you can make it. tea with them. Ethnobotany <laughs> in action. You know. Yes.
1: <laughs> foraging is not just about food or food eating. <laughs> you know, children's playthings were a, a classic foraging <laughs> activity as well. So what else? Things like white dead metal you can find throughout the winter. And if you've got a garden or even a path nearby you. A little plant that loves disturbed ground is called hairy bittercress. Now that might not sound very appetizing, okay. but it's actually neither hairy nor bitter. And it's a relative, it's in the brassica family, so the cabbage family. And it's got some of those lovely pungent compounds that you get in watercress and rockets, very close cousin of those. And it has some of the same health nutritional benefits. So mm-hmm. those pungent glucosinolates they're actually very very useful both as a warming antimicrobial in the winter but also they've been shown to have hormone modulating properties that make them a useful addition to a healthy diet there's a lot of research done for example on watercress for this reason because there was concern about too much brassica in your diet having a suppressant effect on the thyroid gland So there's a lot of good research on these compounds, but what they found was that, yes, they do have a hormone and endocrine effect, but it's actually a protective effect in your Mm. diet against hormonally mediated cancers. So fantastic. It's a humble little plant that you'll see sprouting up everywhere. A little rosette, absolutely beautiful. I'll send you a picture. Tiny, tiny, minuscule, two millimeter white flowers packs a real punch in terms of flavor, like a crest. So substitute that in your egg and cress sandwiches are your brilliant what mackerel passes it's absolutely
0: brilliant (laughs) I'll, i'll look out for that on the doorstep spring summer i suppose maybe as you say is a better time of year for foraging so what's the kind of best kept secret or what should we be looking out for in scotland if we go foraging at the better time of year to forage in or what's your favorite thing oh, to forage
1: goodness a favorite I <laughs> what always, a question oh, all, i know i know I, I just love them all i think if i really had to say a favorite i would say nettle because it's incredible i actually have a little book called 101 uses of stinging nettle and it covers everything from nettle beer to nettle ginger beer nettle root you can take as a tea <laughs> as well It's used for fibre, it was used for dyeing, it's been used for all sorts of things. You can eat the seeds in the autumn. Nettle is just an all-round introduction to foraging and our history, our ethnobotanical heritage. It's a real, yeah, it's a deep dive, that one, nettle. Yeah,
0: and I have done a little bit of foraging myself, but mainly for things like wild garlic and elderberry and brambles, because, yeah, yeah, they're kind of...
1: Also favourites, yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: What's some of the do's and don'ts of foraging then? Is there anything that plants, obviously, some of them can be harmful or toxic to us? So what's the kind yeah. of things to think about?
1: Okay, I think it wasn't me that coined this, but we talk about the three R's of foraging. So those are the rights, the responsibilities and the risks. Mm-hmm. So that our rights, we have fantastic rights in Scotland, access to public land and to foraging as well. So as citizens, we have foraging rights. In a nutshell, those are you can harvest above ground parts of plants as long as it's not a protected species or in a protected area like a site of special scientific interest, for example. Below ground parts, you can only harvest with permission, even weeds. In practical terms, there are certain plants that it's very difficult to harvest, like the hairy bittercress, without uprooting them but try to avoid that wherever possible. And the other restriction on that is that you can only harvest for your own use and respecting the site and other users of the site, including wildlife. So that's really important. And it's all written down in the Scottish Outdoor Access Code.
0: I'll include the link in the show notes, yeah, Yeah. for the Scottish Outdoor Access Code.
1: Yeah, there's lots of good information on the NatureScot website as well in general about foraging. We have a responsibility to look after the environment and respect other owners and users of the environment and wildlife. So foraging in the spring, for example, is great. It's a very rich abundance of spring plants to forage from. But it's also nesting time for lots of birds and small mammals. So that needs to be taken into account. And the other one of the risks and safe plant identification is an important one. So take a good book, take some photos. There are some good apps now to help you. Check the botanical name, the scientific name, because common names for plants vary widely. Other risks. So, for example, out in the countryside, you might think it's lovely and pristine and clean, but you can also have animal faeces there too. But you can also have pesticide drift from agriculture or, you know, if a path is managed, then you might get herbicides having been sprayed by the path. But having said all that, I would encourage people to get out and do it because it really isn't difficult.
0: There's nothing better than going out for a walk and picking brambles and taking them home and making some jelly or just adding it to some baking or eating what you've harvested yourself. Absolutely. So I suppose to finish off, do you have any kind of favourite recipes to share using things that we might be able to forage or have you got a favourite food memory from your work foraging that you want to share?
1: Oh my goodness. Ooh, I think I'm going to have to go back to nettle with that. (laughs) Again, for versatility and flavour. I mean, you can actually, if you're careful, grasp the nettle leaf really firmly and rub it until it's releasing its juices. And then you can eat it raw. You get an incredible burst of flavour. But in springtime, a wild nettle pesto with a clove of garlic some olive oil you can use any nuts or seeds if you're out in the wild you can just use them raw or you can toast them if you've got them at home just chop the nettles really finely so just take the topmost leaves not the whole thing. That's not only the most tender, but it also allows the nettle to regrow. It will send out side shoots so you'll not be damaging the plant.
0: And I take it um, it's best to pick the nettle with gloves on. Is that right? Or is there a good technique well, so you don't likely, get stung?
1: I've got a little bit of arthritis in my hands. So I pick the nettles with my bare hands and let myself get stung a little bit. Some people have a very strong reaction to nettle stings. So it's maybe not for everybody. I don't tend to carry gloves when I'm out and about and I see a nice patch of nettles, but sometimes I'll have a plastic shopping bag in my pocket or a dog poo bag (laughs) (laughs) just put that over your hand and pick it if you're worried about. okay but the actual nettle sting is actually fantastic it's medicine in itself okay
0: it's
1: fantastic anti-arthritic there's some research going on into that (laughs) we know that the ancient romans did it but another thing with nettles is that you can use it in recipes that you call for spinach so any recipe that you enjoy cooking and you're confident cooking and you enjoy eating you can substitute some of these wild greens so you don't have to go crazy with exotic wild food recipes just use the recipes you're familiar with yeah and for example you can make a fantastic sagaloo curry with nettles and other wild greens like garlic mustard for example
0: And you probably don't need a lot of the nettle leaves because they are quite pungent. Is that the right word? (laughs) Strong in flavour?
1: Yeah, strong flavour. But they're not like things like thyme or sage or rosemary. They don't alter your flavourings. They'll Mm -hmm. give your flavours a depth. I mean, you can taste the sort of mineral quality to them as well. But they add that depth and flavour without actually altering your aromas and your Mm -hmm. other aspects. So you can chuck a handful of nettle leaves fresh or dried into any soups and stews and it doesn't alter your basic flavours, but you get all that whack of nutritional benefit
0: from them. Gosh, sounds amazing. And there's just so much to learn and we've touched on just a little bit today. So I really appreciate you sharing just some of your knowledge and passion for Origin and nettles in particular um <laughs> we and we could do would, a whole session on nettles. <laughs> yeah we should um i would definitely i'll put in the show notes the woodlands for all book that you helped produce because as i say it's a fantastic starting point and it's available online so and all the other links that you've sent me i'll make sure i include them in the show fantastic. notes as well thank you for that yeah that's great where can people find you online or what's the best
1: place i'm on facebook and twitter and instagram Although I'm a bit sporadic with all of them, <laughs> I say. but I do, I do also support other projects and I'll post recipes and, and other tips for foraging on those social media and on other so organizations that I work with, for example, locally, where I run foraging walks, et cetera. Right. Uh, it's lovely to collaborate with other organizations. So look out for those. I'm not doing anything in the adult education program this autumn and winter, but in the spring, I'm sure I'll be
0: back. So yeah be lovely to see people
1: on one of those.
0: Brilliant. Well, I'll put all the links in the show notes anyway. And yeah, do follow Anna for more information. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I'm going to go out and see what I can find. If you can find the hairy (laughs) bittercress. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Happy foraging. Thanks for listening to this Food Connections podcast. Do check out the show notes for interesting links related to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could give it a rating and leave a short review. And please do spread the word and tell others about it. If you have any comments or suggestions for future guests, do get in touch with me. I'd love to hear. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.